Well, it's great to be with you. We're in the third week of a study of the book of Job. Um, uh, we are just jumping into this book, and um, we're not going to cover, of course, in detail every um, verse, every uh, chapter, but uh, we are doing so here at the beginning of the book because there's so much that happens in the first few chapters to frame uh, what comes after. And so um, we're going to do another detailed study today of chapter 2. Uh, before that, though, just a few things to remind you um, of as by way of review. Uh, the first is that we are taking as our hermeneutical principle for the book of Job as we study it that Job is a model of Christian faithfulness and wisdom and maturity and hope in the midst of uh, the suffering that we experience in this world. And the reason we think that is not just because uh, Job's in the Bible. There are lots of people in the Bible that are not necessarily intended to be models for us. Um, sometimes they're the opposite. Uh, but the scriptures um, give us actually a way to think about Job. The Apostle James, in his letter as he's encouraging uh, Christians in that first generation of the church who are experiencing great persecution and suffering, as he encourages them to be patient and steadfast, he tells them, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness or of the patience of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So according to the apostle, um, Job is given to us um, as an example as an example himself of faithfulness and patience and suffering, and as an example of the purpose of the Lord, how even in Job's story, difficult though it is, uh, the Lord's character is revealed as someone who is compassionate and merciful. And indeed, um, that I think is one of the primary reasons why the book of Job is given to us, uh, that we might not only be patient as he is, but that we might uh, know as his story reveals that God is good that God is compassionate and merciful even in the midst of uh, the most difficult um, things in our lives. Um, so just to review a little bit in terms of chapter 1, which we looked at last week, um, verses 1 to 5, um, we hear about Job's prosperity and his piety. Uh, we talked about how Job is described here as um, not just a, a good guy, but he is the greatest of all the men of the East, um, the scriptures tell us. Um, he is a man who is blameless and upright. Um, he is someone who is, um, has integrity. Um, and that word blameless is one that doesn't appear a lot in the scriptures to describe human beings. It uh, notably occurs also in the story of Noah, uh, when Noah is isolated out of uh, many um, who were sinful as being blameless. And so Job is a, that kind of person. Um, someone who is, um, has integrity. doesn't mean he's sinless, but it does mean that he is um, honest before God and that he um, is faithful. And we see that faithfulness in the way that Job is um, sacrificing continually on behalf of his children in case they have in their hearts cursed God. Um, and that, that question of cursing God is going to be one of the key things in the book, whether or not Job will curse God. Of course, that's what uh, Satan wants him to do. In verses 6 to 12, um, we have um, the engagement between the Lord and Satan. We talked last week about how um, that word that's translated Satan, that is um, 
you know, the word Satan has come to be kind of synonymous with just the word devil, as though it's like a proper name um, uh, for the fallen angel who opposes God. Um, but literally in the Hebrew, Satan is the word accuser. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a verb. It's, a, it's something that someone does continually. So uh, literally in the Hebrew, every time it says Satan, it actually in the Hebrew says the accuser is how that uh, would be literally translated. So the accuser, because that's who he is, that's who Satan is, um, comes into God's presence. Um, God brings Job to his attention and says that he is blameless and upright and all these different things. And Satan, um, the accuser, says, well, um, isn't that just because you've put a hedge of protection around him? Isn't that just because you've given him lots of good things? Um, if you take that hedge away, he will curse you to your face. And God says, um, do what you want. And so um, the Lord, so the story begins in that way, uh, right? Um, God um, grants permission in some way for Satan to test Job's faith. And we're going to think about what that means a little bit more today. And so Job suffers calamity. Um, he suffers a great loss. Um, his wealth is taken from him in quick succession. All the uh, animals, all the herds that he had um, are gone, stolen, or are killed. And then finally, um, his 10 children, who are all feasting together, are killed when their uh, tent collapses on them, and, or their house collapses on them, and they uh, die. Um, and so Job suffers all these things, and at the end of that chapter, we hear his response, that he uh, tears his clothes, that he shaves his head. He's not stoic. He doesn't say, eh, it doesn't matter. No, he's deeply affected. But he also says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. Yahweh, that is the Lord, gave, and Yahweh has taken away. Blessed be the name of Yahweh. And then we read the narrator's verdict about this, um, whether that um, final narrator perhaps is Solomon or someone like that. Um, he says, and all this Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. I think as we get into material today, I want to just think for a few minutes about this pronouncement that Job gives, um, where he says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. Yahweh gave, and Yahweh has taken away. Blessed be the name of Yahweh. For thinking about Job as a model of patience in the midst of suffering and obedience in the midst of these things, what does that statement teach us? What is, what is, what is Job saying here? Uh, what is he affirming about God that we would want to consider? Any thoughts about that? Or not just about God, but about himself, his own experience? Yeah, Chloe. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, I think that's well put. Um, every, he's affirming that everything that he possesses um, comes from the hand of God. Um, there's not a sense of entitlement. There's not a sense of fundamental possession. Uh, rather, there's a sense that he has to hold everything loosely because it's all contingent um, upon the Lord's um, commitment to him, the Lord's giving it to him. That's right. Naked he came from the womb, right? He came into this world with nothing. Um, naked he will depart. Um, he will die um, and be buried and not take anything with him, so to speak. Um, and so everything comes from the Lord's hands. What else? Yes, sir. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a profound expression of his um, understanding of God's sovereignty, right? Um, that, I mean, it's fascinating, right? He doesn't say, you know, the, uh, I can't remember their names, but the tribes that came and stole his stuff or the calamities that came from apparently natural forces, lightning or wind. He doesn't attribute what he's lost to those things. He says the Lord has taken, right? The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Um, so he, he obviously explicitly understands that um, ultimately it's God who's sovereign over all these things, the Lord who has done this, and um, what can his response be but blessed be the name of the Lord, um, even though God um, has done this. Um, and in some ways because God has done this, because God is the sovereign one. Yeah, Jeremy. No, sure, yeah, Job is embracing his um, human limitations as a fundamental part of his wisdom um, in relationship to God. Yeah, that's right. You want to say something, James? Um, well, it seems like Yeah, <laughs> me too. Right. Yes. No, absolutely. That's right. I think a fundamental aspect of contentment, and Paul says in Philippians 4, of course, he's learned the secret of contentment. I think the secret of contentment is 
knowing what things God has promised to you and you can count on and what things he has not promised to you. Um, Paul knew, for example, that God had not promised him that he would live a life free of difficulty um, or a life where all of his desires were fulfilled. Um, Paul knew that God had not actually promised him those things, but he had promised him something that he could count on, the forgiveness of his sins and the hope of the resurrection of the dead, where all of his desires would be fulfilled, where he would not be unhappy. And so that gives Paul, that gives Job as well, a kind of freedom um, to embrace um, what comes without cursing God, without um, being contemptuous towards the Lord. And of course, we're going to see in Job, Job wrestles with these things, right? Make no mistake. Um, but this is a fundamental statement of his faith here at the, the head of the book um, that does carry its way through, even in the context of him wrestling and all, with all sorts of things. Um, so I, I just want us to think about that, hold on to that, even as we go through um, the content of this book, that statement of Job. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's a, something to memorize. It's something to hold on to um, as a kind of example of uh, the freedom um, that can be ours in relationship to our life in this world. Certainly the freedom that God desires for us to have. All right, so let's um, look at um, Job 2, 1 to 13. It's a little bit of a shorter chapter, but I'll uh, read it again just to make sure that it's in front of us as we think about it together this morning. <clears throat> Job chapter 2. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before Yahweh, and the accuser also came among them to present himself before Yahweh. And Yahweh said to the accuser, From where have you come? The accuser answered Yahweh and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And Yahweh said to the accuser, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, who fears God and turns away from evil? He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason." Then the accuser answered Yahweh and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And Yahweh said to the accuser, Behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. So the accuser went out from the presence of Yahweh and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil, or perhaps better translated, not receive calamity, disaster? 
In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this calamity that had come upon him, they came each from his own place, Eliphaz the Timonite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, so a few things um, to point out here. Um, there's this obviously repetition of the previous scene that took place in the heavenly courts. Uh, the accuser comes again with the angels and the Lord confronts him again, says, what you've been up to? And um, there's a subtext now, right? Because the Lord knows what Satan has been up to. He's been afflicting Job. And um, Satan doesn't have anything to say about that. He just says, again, I've been walking around on the earth, um, seeing what's up. And um, the Lord says, well, have you considered, again, he brings Job to his attention, have you considered my servant Job? He repeats the same things. Blameless, upright, fears God, turns away from evil, that he holds fast to his integrity, uh, the Lord says, even though um, you have incited me against him to destroy him. And then Satan, um, the accuser, comes back with another accusation. And this accusation is, well, yeah, sure, He's lost his wealth, he's lost his children, um, he's experienced disaster um, externally, but what's happened to Job? He's fine, right? He's feeling good. Um, he is, uh, you know, has the ability to do what he wants with his body and his life, and maybe he just thinks he can just, you know, have more kids and build those herds back up. And, um, you know, it's still a kind of transactional thing that he has with you. Um, and so the Lord says, he is in your hand, do with him as you will. And then, of course, physical suffering falls upon Job. We'll talk about that in a moment. So what do we make of this, of God again giving Job over to Satan, of God putting, even as he says, he is in your hand, he says to the Satan. Uh, question is, does God really do this? Is this the kind of thing that the Lord actually does, Right. Well, an interesting passage in comparison with this is in Luke uh, chapter 22. Um, here, it turns out Jesus does do these kinds of things. The Lord does do these kinds of things. He says to Simon in Luke 22 verse 31, Simon, Simon, that's Peter, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. And notice what comes next. Jesus doesn't say, and I said, Heck no, you can't have Peter, right? No, that's not what Jesus says. He says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. So, Jesus is saying to Peter that you are going to be given to Satan. 
to be sifted like wheat, to be tested. Um, and the good news is that I'm praying for you, that I'm interceding for you, that your faith will not fail, and that when you um, come through that experience, you will strengthen uh, your brothers. So I think the reality is that we have to understand that the Lord does at times do this kind of thing. He does allow Satan to test us, to tempt us, to, um, to put us in situations. That doesn't mean that anything happens to us is not under God's authority and sovereignty. Of course it is. Uh, but there is an aspect of this reality um, that the Lord does use suffering in our life to test us, uh, to put us um, in different trials um, for the sake of our faith. Peter himself, obviously reflecting on his own experience, uh, writes in his epistle to the church in 1 Peter 1. Um, he says this, <clears throat> he's talking about the resurrection of Jesus and how it is imperishable and undefiled and unfading, um, this promise that they've been given. He says in verse 6, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I think this is a really important thing to think about when we're suffering in our lives um, sometimes there's this idea that what is the lesson, right? What is the thing that God is trying to teach me? And I think that is very rarely a kind of propositional truth that you're going to like, like, oh, you know, here's the epiphany that I experienced in the middle of my suffering. I, don't, I would encourage you not to think about it that way. Um, I think what the Lord consistently is doing with our suffering is the kind of thing that Peter's talking there. Um, he is testing us, even with fire, um, to produce a kind of genuineness to our faith that wasn't there before, and a deeper integrity, a deeper maturity, a deeper wisdom. Um, he, is, he is doing that, um, not only for our sake, but also, as he tells Peter, so that when we come through the trial, we will strengthen the brothers, we'll strengthen those around us. Our suffering is not, and this is really important, our suffering is not even only for our sake. It's for the sake of our neighbor, right? It's for the sake of our Christian brother or sister um, who needs themselves to be strengthened by us. And we're not yet capable of strengthening them in their faith in the way that we might be or we will be um, after we've passed through the trial, the difficulty, the suffering. And in all this, as Jesus himself teaches, what is he doing? He's not absent, right? He's interceding for us. He's united to us. Um, our suffering, as Paul teaches in Philippians and other places, is actually a share in his suffering. It's actually an imitation of him. And so he is with us in that place. And indeed, he is um, interceding and praying for us and sustaining us um, so that our faith will not fail. Um, Peter's faith did not fail, ultimately. It failed, it stumbled, it, he sinned, right? But he was sustained, and clearly he was sustained not through his own efforts and, and tenacity, but by um, the grace of his Lord. Um, yeah, Jeremy.
Yeah, Paul says that in Philippians, Philippians 2, yeah. No, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. Our suffering is very often for others, and we need to we need to really wrestle with this. And and one of the really helpful things about this teaching and understanding of suffering is that one of the things that suffering does is it isolates us. It it makes us feel alone. And I really want to press us press against that. um, That that in our suffering we should understand that God has promised always that our suffering is not meaningless, um, that it, it is fruitful, that it bears fruit, and very often the fruit that it bears is in the life of other people around us. Um, in some sense, we suffer for them um, uh, on their behalf. And, um, and that's a profound thing to think about, not only so that you think about meaning in your own experience, but so that you think about um, the way in which you are actually not alone in your suffering. Um, that you're part of a, a bigger story that's not, I mean, just to put it bluntly, it, your suffering is not just about you, right? And we think that so easily, right? This is just about me. It's not. Not if we read the Bible, not if we understand the scriptures. It's always for the sake of the body. Yeah, James. Yeah, right. Right. No, absolutely. Yeah. And Job didn't fully grasp that, obviously, in his experience, necessarily. I mean, he did in some ways, but um, but yeah, his, his story of suffering was used by the Lord even throughout history, like you're saying, canonically, um, as, as a way of encouragement. Um, and that, I mean, that's true about church history, right? I mean, you think about the saints, you think about someone like Polycarp, who's dying and you know, when they confront him right before he's to be killed, I think by the lions, or and uh, he says, why would I um, betray my master? He's been faithful to me all of my life. How could I betray him now? You know, like things like that. Like, And that's been used as a picture of Christian suffering um, and faithfulness. And we, we never know is the point. You never know how the Lord is going to make your suffering fruitful in the lives of other people, and it is actually an act of faith to believe that he will. Because you may not even know. Well, you won't know. I guarantee you. (laughs) None of us fully grasp or understand the influence that our lives carry. And all of us need to reckon with the fact that we have it. If you are in Christ, your life matters eternally, um, not just for your own sake, but for the sake of others. And um, all of us, this is something I just try to emphasize again and again because we need to hear it all of us think we have way more influence in things that we don't and think we don't have influence in ways that we do and um, 
a life of Christian faithfulness is the most important thing that you can do, um, the most influential thing that you can do. Um, and those other things, man, man, there are a lot of books written, you know. If you think writing a book's going to change the world, I got news for you, bro. Like, you know, it's not. It's just not. I mean, maybe if you're one of the tiny proportion of people that actually write a book that stays in print for more than five years. Um, but there's a lot of things being written in this world, you know. But the way to have real lasting influence um, is a life of Christian faithfulness because the Lord makes it fruitful, um, not your well-laid plans. So another hand, Sam, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk more about that um, probably next week at this point, um, about the dynamic there between Job and his wife. I'm not, I'm not totally sure of the Eve connection, but I understand the point you're making. Certainly she is functioning in, that, in this story as a kind of, um, yeah, she's certainly tempting him to do something he should not do. <laughs> and um, one of the ways that he's faithful there is um, by not doing it. But also, it's interesting, by by not cursing her, um, which we'll talk about more. I think he's kind in many ways to his wife there. Um, he, was, he, of course, is experiencing her own suffering, right? She, her children also just died. Um, yeah, Chloe, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, read, what does 1 Peter 5, verse 8 tell us? Read. Yeah, that's great. You're right. That's a great connection. That the there's there's that yeah that parallel that dynamic that Peter talks about um, that is assumed I think there in the Job narrative that Satan is doing this um, that he is um, prowling around. Remember this, Satan. Just remember, is not omnipresent. Right? He's a created being. He's a fallen angel. Um, he's not everywhere at once. Um, he's goes to and fro because he can't be everywhere. Um, but he is going around like a lion, roaring, um, and his bark is worse than his bite. I think that's part of what Peter's pointing out there. Um, um, 
but he is seeking to devour. He is seeking to destroy. And there, that is a reality that we have to be cognizant of. And, and as you put it, or not as you put it, but as Peter puts it, as you pointed out, um, that connection between humbling ourselves before the Lord and casting our cares on him and anxieties is, a, is deeply linked to what it means to resist Satan, right? Stand firm in our faith. That's right, and that's something we have to hold on to as suffering too. Um, some of the lies that suffering, we feel in the midst of suffering is, one, that it's meaningless, two, that we're alone in it, three, that it's never going to end. And I want to say, all of those are lies. I understand why we believe them. I understand why they seem true. Um, our suffering is not meaningless because God has made it fruitful. He promises to do so. We're not alone in our suffering because we're connected to Jesus. He's actually praying for us, um, that we would be sustained in our faith. And very often our suffering is for others. Um, and so we're not alone. And finally, our suffering ends, right? After a little while, he says, um, the God of all grace will restore you. All suffering ends. Like we have to hold on to that, you know? It, it ends, does not last forever. It is not some big circle of time that we just go through and suffer forever until, no, it, it comes to an end, you know? Um, not just in our life, but in human history itself. And that, we have to hold on to that. We're going to talk about that in our sermon this morning, Paul's orientation toward the future and the end of suffering. Um, this is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians, right, that these light momentary afflictions um, or as Peter puts it there, we suffer for a little while. It's not long in comparison uh, with what comes after the end of suffering. All right, we um, are about to wrap up, which is fine. I'm glad we got to talk a little more today. I know I've talked a lot the last couple of weeks. Any final comments or questions, especially if you haven't contributed anything yet? Anybody? Want to say something? Yeah, Donovan. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My Redeemer lives, is that what you're referring to? Right, Job 19, yeah. In Christ, and even more now than it was for Job in some sense, right? Job looked forward by faith to the resurrection of his Lord. Uh, we look backward in history um, and remember that Jesus is raised. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. I appreciate that. Okay, let me pray for us, then we're going to transition to some music, um, which I'm going to 
uh, introduce. Father, thank you for the story of Job. Thank you for um, even what we've talked about today and the things around suffering that we've discussed, the things that we learn from uh, considering Job and pondering him and, and um, his experience and his words and his teaching. We thank you that he is, Father, uh, not merely one who suffers, but one who talks about his suffering and who gives us um, language to describe our experience and even language um, to imitate as we um, consider ourselves before you. I pray that you grant us that grace and um, bless us, Lord. Help us, um, help us to be like Job. Help us to be steadfast. And as we're steadfast and obedient, help us uh, to be conformed to the image of your Son. Help us to remember that our suffering matters, that it is fruitful, um, that it bears fruit, especially in the life of the church and the life of the body, and that you are with us always um, through your Son, our Lord, who has poured out his Spirit on us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, friends, we're going to um, do a little more singing in a moment. Um, but before we do, I just want to make a few comments.